Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the No Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Levin Black. Alongside me once again is Brett Rumbeck. How are you doing today, Brett? Doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm ready to get into it. We're going to start with preseason game number three. We're going to review some of the topics that interested us the most, but we're also going to look ahead to preseason game number four, as well as cut down day, which is fast approaching. But like I said, we're going to start with preseason game number three, and the obvious place to start is Jimmy Garoppolo. He's the thing fans, writers, media care about the most for obvious reasons. He's the quarterback. And obviously in game number two, his first one of the preseason against Denver, he did not look very good. But he came out in preseason game number three. And for me, he even exceeded my expectations. Did he do the same for you, Brett? Uh, Yeah, he did. I started that first series, those first three plays, and I thought, oh, no. Oh, no, what's going on? And I took a swig of beer, and I think it was a third and seven. And I noted in my notebook the play was incomplete, and the, it was a flag on the play. And I thought, oh, boy. And then uh, defensive holding, so it extended that drive. They got that first down by penalty. Well, sometimes that's what you need. And um, then it felt like they were off. The I think the fifth play in my notebook was a play-action completion to Bourne on that drive. Uh, it was nothing major. Bourne just ran an under route, which is just uh, five yards roughly and cut in. And it looked to me like the play was I left slot P16, weak Z under. Um, but sometimes those little five-yard plays, they're confidence builders for quarterbacks, for offenses, for receivers. And uh, the next play on my notes, Breedy got four yards. Uh, the next play was a was a play action, um, and they just kept rolling and rolling. Uh, the second offense, um, I thought, was great as well. There was a completion to Pettis on third and eight. Um, the 49ers were at their own 24, and it was at the 640 mark in the first quarter. And uh, I know we probably have a lot of technical listen- listeners who – uh, are very, uh, they want to see the right concepts, but this looked like a, a modified smash concept. Pettis was the inside receiver and ran a bench route, a deep out route, about 15 yards or so. And Bourne, the outside receiver, ran that under route. Uh, so it's, it stretches the defense. Uh, that was a great play. I thought it was a great catch. And the TD pass to, to Brita. My kid was asleep, so I'd quietly jump off the couch. <laughs> and, uh, Oh my gosh, what a beautiful play in the preseason. So when I rewatched it this morning over a cup of coffee, I watched it in slow-mo and hit pause as, as Garoppolo let go of the ball. Garoppolo let go of that ball when Brita was only five yards into the route. And he hit him in the end zone. So I just I thought that was great. I mean, what a way to come back from that Monday. It was slow on Monday. Right. And a great step into the to the regular season. I thought that was great. Right. And most likely doesn't play in preseason game number four. So it's probably the last we see of Garoppolo before that lead into week one, like you alluded to. But I, I saw the same thing, and there, there's been some uh, breakdowns I've seen on Twitter, as well as just reviewing the film myself. And it's that anticipation that you, you talked about, especially on that burrito throw. But just overall, on a lot of his completions, you can see him read the route, read the corner, see that it was going to be open and start his throwing motion as the wide receiver is making his break. Uh, there was an out route by Goodwin. I saw that on literally Goodwin is just starting his first stutter step to make the cut. And Garoppolo is already in his motion, ready to throw and it ended up being, uh, I, don't, I don't remember exactly how long it was something like a 12 yard completion first down. And you can see that anticipation. And that's the thing that I think the, the Niners kind of missed when Garoppolo went down. Mullins has that capability, uh, but he was a rookie. He he struggled at times last last year, but that's the thing Beathard really struggles with. He doesn't seem to anticipate his throws and then and see, okay, I know what his route is. I can see how the corner is defending him. He's going to end up open. I'm going to start throwing. He likes to see it open 
and that's normally too late in the NFL. And that's a big difference to me. It kind of separates your medium tier to bad quarterbacks and your great quarterbacks. You know, you look at the Peyton Manning's of the past, you know, Tom Brady, that that's pretty much all he does. They're all timing routes and he's able to read a defense, anticipate what the wide receiver is going to be doing and see that he's going to be open. So he starts throwing before he's actually open. And that's one of, to me, the things, the traits that you look at in a quarterback when they become great. And I love seeing that out of Garoppolo. I think you're spot on with that. I'm not going to compare Garoppolo to Montana, but go with me on this. And <laughs> I believe in that Montana autobiography, the, the big one, the one he put out probably 20 years ago now with his face on the cover. Right. He has a, a, a line in there about practicing throwing a ball through a tire in the backyard with his dad. And he then he alludes to it in the writing, something to the effect of, it's just like finding Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone. And it's just like that tire, just like you said, you're not going to throw at the tire. You're going to where the tire is going to be. And that you're spot on, Levin. It's, it's, you can't wait for the guy. You've got to get rid of it and know that he's going to be there. And that throw in the end zone was great. That third and three to James that gained 33 at the 501 mark or five, five minute mark. Right. That was fantastic too. Right. And uh, I looked just, at that one too. And he released that one. You know, James did that little bit of a stutter, like he was going to cut inside and then ended up going deep. When Garoppolo started his throwing motion on that, James was still dead even with the corner. He hadn't gotten behind him. He was anticipating James has more forward momentum uh, and is at a higher speed, so he's going to be open. And then it was pinpoint accuracy. And even just overall, uh, the whole offense, uh, the team vastly improved on third down. I think last week they were 18%. Uh, Saturday night, they were 60%, 381 net yards, uh, 23 total first downs, 14 of them were passing, and 35 minutes of possession with a 50% mark in the red zone. Uh, it's not even the same team for Monday. It's not even the same first offense for Monday. It just, uh, you don't get this much in preseason football. And so I really enjoyed watching that football game. Right. And not to make too much out of a preseason game, but they also didn't play George Kittle which is obviously one of the biggest weapons in the 49ers offense. So that thought kind of occurred to me at halftime. You know what? Kittle didn't even play, and they looked this good. <laughs> yeah, this, if, you could, if you could bottle this, I'd love to see it week one and just explode. I, that would be the, the Mentos and the Diet Pepsi. Fantastic. Right. And in one topic, you know, you mentioned that catch by Brita. He's really come a long way as a running back from where he was his first year. You know, he he had almost no experience running any true uh, pass routes uh, other than just a dump off here and there as a rookie. Uh, he didn't really do very well as a pass catcher. But that wheel route, and just in general, from the practice reports we've seen in training camp as well as uh, a little bit last year and in this preseason so far, he's come such a long way. It's really starting to make me wonder how much is McKinnon really needed, which I hate to say because I loved the McKinnon signing, even though I thought he was signed for a little more expensive than I would have liked, but I thought he was going to really open up this offense and bring so much because of his route running ability out of the running back position. But now with Coleman and Breida developing in that way, it really makes me wonder how much is McKinnon needed in this offense. Are you seeing the same thing out of Breida? I'm seeing the same thing out of both Breida and Coleman, uh, just as you said, just as you alluded to. Um, you know, Coleman looks like he's played. I know he's played in the offense before, but you know, I, I've watched him make a couple of tough blocks on backers. He's played, uh, you know, very well overall. But Matt Breida, uh, by my math, left the game with roughly uh, seventy-five total yards last night. I could be off, but math is not my my best subject. But <laughs> again, imagine that with a full offense, uh, you get that that double threat from Breida, and then. Coleman, who's played well, I think he had 20 yards last night on nine or 10 attempts. Uh, I'm, I feel very good about both of them. And again, uh, nervous for Jet because nobody's ever seen him play save for a few minutes the last preseason. Right. It, it, there's going to be some tough cuts. And I don't see McKinnon getting cut because his, uh, I looked it up uh, earlier today in preparation for recording. and. Right now, his cap hit is uh, 
about five and one quarter million. If he's cut, he has a dead cap hit of nine million and some Ooh. change. So it's a four million dollar difference. I just don't see him being cut. But at the same time, how much is he really needed? It, it's so yeah. hard to read read Shanahan. And you also look at what happened last year with so many running back injuries. The depth just wasn't there. But then I look at Jeff Wilson and how well he played last night. He had those two touchdowns in the second half. And it's like, how do you cut a guy like that? Which he would have to be a cut. They can't keep They can't keep the Coleman, Breida, McKinnon, Mostert, and Wilson. There's just no way they can keep five running backs. And that brings me to, I saw on Twitter a little bit, people talking about, well, they can do this short short season IR for McKinnon and bring him back, you know, right around the middle, middle of the season. But I also saw, uh, I forget which NFL network guy it was, but they, they mentioned on Twitter, the thing about that is, is he has to count on the 53 man roster first, then they mm-hmm. can designate him for that IR, which means they would have to cut somebody that then 24 hours later, you know, they would be able to bring that somebody back, but then you're also open the door to, you know, say say you cut Jeff Wilson and say, hey, we're going to bring you back in 24 hours. We just have to do this. You know, it's official front office stuff. But then Jeff Wilson gets a call from another team and says, hey, you'd be in competition for our second string, not fourth string. Why don't you sign with us? It's just what they're going to do with the running back position is so interesting to me because there's so many there's so many different avenues they can go down. Yeah, and just as you said, if you cut Wilson and you open that door, I mean, if I'm Tampa Bay, hey, come on over for a little bit. You know, uh, we can use you. Uh, or a Houston. For, in, exactly. And, I, I mean, I always like one, two, three punches, but at the same time, you can't, you can't, no, no running back's going to want to give up, uh, you know, 10 or 12 carries a game. He wants to be that workhorse. He wants to be, he wants to be the man there. So telling Brito or Coleman, hey, you're not going to get 25 a game. You might get 15 or 12. Uh, as a professional, that might that might bother me a little bit. But yeah, this week, I think you're I think you're you're spot on, Levin. The, the running back uh, core and what they're going to do with it might be a an underlying overlooked story. So I hope we see more from it. Right, and to transition, you know, talking about the run game that that obviously transitions into your area of expertise, the offensive line play, the thing that you've said interests you the most. That offensive line play in the second preseason game against Denver was obviously a a big negative as well. Did you see improvement in game number three against the Chiefs? Yeah, and, and these were not these are not these are courtesy of pro football focus, but overall for uh sixty minutes of football, the 49ers offensive line allowed only two pressures and two sacks. Daly allowed a sack and a pressure, and Torrin allowed a sack and a pressure. That's it. That's, uh, again, from how rough they looked Monday to uh, Saturday night, big difference. Um, I also want to go back to that play to the deep play to James, the 33-yard gain in the first quarter. Uh, I believe that was 24 protection, uh, and Coleman worked well picking up the middle linebacker. Right. Uh, to, to, to help, to help that play. Uh, it, just again, a, a big, a big shift. They looked a lot more comfortable. Um, they kept their, their man upright. Uh, just a big difference in play. I was a little shocked that Garnett didn't play, but apparently Shanahan noted in the, his post game presser that we should probably see Garnett, uh, this week. Uh, also of note, I thought that Ben Garland at center was interesting. Uh, I just, which was kind of shocked he was going to be there. Uh, and then uh, Willie Beavers and Ross Reynolds only played the last five plays of the game. So I noted that. And I'm not trying to make anything of it, but just a little strange they didn't get in early in the mid, mid midway through the third quarter. But otherwise, I was very impressed with the O the line play. Right, and I, I would agree with that. Uh, I think the o- offensive line play was uh, much better. And I also noted that Ross Reynolds, you know, I, I kind of liked the undrafted free agent signing of Ross Reynolds, thought he had a good chance of making this team, but I think that's a telltale. You know, you, you're a rookie undrafted free agent and you play five games at the very end of preseason game number three. That's 
probably a pretty good sign that you're not making the team. Might be a practice squad uh, person. We'll see. It depends on how much the team has liked what they've seen, uh, the potential. But like I said, overall, I did think the offensive line played a lot better. But I did want to go back, uh, not to be negative or anything like that, but it brings up an interesting topic to me. Um, that Frank Clark sack, where he just, there's no way to sugarcoat it. He smoked <laughs> Joe Staley. I mean, Joe Staley was one-on-one with him, and he fell for a fake to the inside and then got beat on the outside. And Clark got a free shot at Garoppolo, which I don't like to see the quarterback get hit, but it it's also good somebody coming back from injury to take a sack and show, hey, I can get hit. You know, it's kind of a confidence thing. You know, a lot of times you, you come down with a major injury and you're scared to get hit. So it's kind of good. But I want to talk about Joe Staley because uh, I'm a big Joe Staley fan. He's a Mid-American Conference, came out of the Mid-American Conference, and I went to a Mid-American Conference school at the same time. Uh, he was in school for a couple of years. So, uh, you know, I was familiar with him before he even came out. So kind of a soft spot for me. But I've seen some training camp videos and and then this play where it seems like he he's starting to become susceptible to just having a breakdown where he gives a free shot he gets beat so badly that the guy gets by so quickly that it's a free shot at the quarterback now it could be just staley's more of a he's talked about it before you know like earlier this season he got beat by boza in practice and then he started dominating Boza later on because he started figuring out how Boza likes to pass rush. And he talked about how on film he likes to watch and figure out how the guy he's going to be matched up against likes to rush, you know, whether he bull rushes, how he uses his hands, things like that. So he's more of a cerebral uh, left tackle. So maybe it just is that, that it's preseason training camp. He's working on things. But are you at all concerned for Staley? having seen him get beat like he did there? It's really funny. Uh, on my One of my uh, group texts, my friend Kyle texts me. He goes, what's with Staley? Is he getting long in the tooth? And I was like, no, you can't say that about Joe. You can't say that about <laughs> Joe. But you do bring up a good point. I mean, it, it, it is rare to see him give up that inside. So it almost felt so easy, like his feet weren't moving. and. I hope with you, I, I hope that you're right, that maybe he just needs to see somebody a little bit more like, okay, you beat me once in the first quarter. That move again is not going to work at the rest of the game. Um, so my fingers are crossed for, for Joe that these were just, oh, I'm just getting my, getting used to live action again and everything will be, uh, will be okay once we, once we lace him up week one. But it's just rare to see mistakes from him. And it's, it's, it's an interesting, it would be, that would be an interesting podcast of its own is when is somebody, you know, is Staley, did he, did he, is he lost a step? And I guess we won't know until a couple games, but my fingers are crossed for him. Yeah. And I think that's the best route to cross your fingers. Cause if he's had that dramatic fall off that people, you know, it, it happens. People go from being probable caliber to, to being borderline replaceable and it, in a single year sometimes. I don't think Staley's that type. Um, I'm confident still in his ability to play, but there's at least a little birdie in my head now saying, uh-oh. You know, so I, I'm excited to get to the regular season and see if uh, he can kind of correct those mistakes and whether it's just kind of working out the bugs, getting back into the thing. Uh, but we should transition into the first-team defense right on the other side. Uh, it didn't go very well. Uh, they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, the Kansas City Chiefs have the wonder kid at, at quarterback, but they they were, I wouldn't say dominated, but they were picked apart. You know, Kansas City was able to move up the field when they wanted to, uh, which was pretty much every play that uh, Mahomes was in for. Were you at all concerned with the first team defense after watching them? Uh, I didn't. I didn't like that first series. Um, well, I didn't like the third play of the first of Kansas City's first possession. Um, as I went back to rewatch it, I uh, saw that Solomon Thomas was on the right edge and had the running back in coverage. So 
maybe it was just the wrong defense called at the wrong time, which it's football. Hey, it happens. Um, but it's pretty clear Solomon Thomas should not be covering running backs ever. Uh, especially one that fast. Especially one that fast. But um, they did settle down. And that second defense I rewatched this morning, and they did only allow a field goal. Uh, Thomas caused that Mahomes scramble, for better or for worse, and he was coming off the right edge. Um, and he was actually on that, on that play, he was aligned on the same side with Buckner, who looped back to the left. But that first, that third play was a little concerning. Um, but I did like the fact that they settled down and, um, noted, you know, I noted both Armstead and, uh, Thomas playing throughout the rest of the first half, um, whether on the edge or inside. Thomas was, I believe, according to my notes, inside on the Kansas City's fourth possession. So it made me feel better. Um, but yeah, that, that, that third play, boy, I thought, oh boy, guys, <laughs> what are we doing here? But again, maybe it was just the wrong defense against Kansas City's right play. Right. I mean, mistakes happen, and that's about as bad as it can get because, you know, it wasn't just a, I wouldn't say a blown coverage, but a mismatch so badly it leads to a blown coverage. And then obviously Tart just completely whiffed and took a horrible angle at limiting the damage and allowed it to turn into a long touchdown instead of about a 30-yard gain or so. But I, I noted this to you on, on Twitter. I think it was immediately <laughs> following the game. or I can't remember if it was during the game or immediately following. But uh, to me, I mean, you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs. They're going to be hard to stop regardless. But Mahomes is that next quarterback in a long line of quarterbacks where you give him time doesn't matter how good your coverage is he's going to find somebody he's going to make a play out of it you know Aaron Rodgers you know those type of quarterbacks who can really just make something out of nothing Mahomes is that next quarterback Uh, I think that's pretty clear and what I noted to you was that the Niners weren't playing with either one of their edge rushers they weren't playing with Deed Ford and they weren't playing with Nick Bosa. Those are the guys specifically brought in, in my mind, to limit a quarterback like that. Guys that are so good at pass rushing that it doesn't matter what else happens. That quarterback's not going to get those five-second five plays where he can just kind of move around in the pocket and get all this extra time to find somebody. And I think, to me, I mean, it wasn't a good show, in my opinion, by the defense, but at the same time, it, it is what we, we know of that defense. The secondary is the weak link. Um, I think they can be good at times, and they can be they can look a lot better if the pass rush is there, but without those guys, the pass rush is not going to be there, and that's kind of what I chalked it up to, is that without the pass rush, you know, when Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstrong are, are your edge rushers, you're not going to get to the quarterback, especially somebody as shifty as Mahomes, and that secondary doesn't hold up when the quarterback gets that much time. Is that fair to say in your mind? Yes. Yes. You, you called me out and um, <laughs> I, uh, it, I, I even had it noted down because I'm all for fact. It was the, uh, the Kansas city's third possession and drew Henny went in and they went uh, four plays. They sacked Henny on a third and 18 and I tweeted out something to the effect of, well, the 49ers defense looks good against Drew Henny. And you called me out with the facts that Ford Bosa were not there and Buckner wasn't there either. So I laughed. Uh, you, you were correct. And again, it is that I was thinking about it today, uh, you know, mentally preparing for our conversation tonight. Uh, you know, we still don't know what Ford and Bosa will look like on the edges. And that can make right. a huge difference. And maybe Thomas does move permanently back inside. So does Armstead, and then you have somebody who can who can uh, cover that back on that wheel route or that Texas route or whatever. And uh, again, seeing Buckner every play. So you're correct. And uh, sometimes, even in preseason football, my my frustration uh, gets the best of me. Yeah, well, it's it's preseason for us as well. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for calling me out. <laughs> Not a problem. It's what I do best. <laughs> as my friends will tell. <laughs> but one last topic before we move on from this uh, preseason game against the Chiefs that happened uh, on Saturday. The wide receiver play. 
it was an interesting <laughs> game in terms of not just who did well and who didn't do much or or anything like that, but also in the manner in which they were utilized. I mean, you had Dante Pettis, the presumed number one, playing in the fourth quarter, which Shanahan was asked about, and he flat said, Pettis is still trying to earn his role on this team, which is, you know, that only probably sounds the alarm bells, but it also could just be Shanahan trying to keep him motivated. But what did you see out of the wide wide receiver play? What, What stood out to you? You know, I noticed that Pettis in the playing in the fourth quarter as well, um, and I, I noted a couple of, of 49er people I follow, fans I follow that are well-respected, pointing that out. And I kind of looked up and I thought, oh, I wonder what's going on. Uh, I looked at the, the uh, snap count this morning. Pettis played about 37 snaps, uh, roughly 52% of the 49ers offense. I'm going to take a step back from it, and I'm going to just say, I'm not going to read into that. Uh, maybe Pettis wanted the live reps. Maybe he wanted to show the coaching staff that he's willing to work hard. Uh, I'm, I mean, think back to your time playing football or, or baseball or any sport. The coaches respected somebody who was like, nope, I'm going to volunteer and I'll go play practice squad to get the reps in. And maybe that's what he wanted to do. Um, I, I, I noticed that same tweet today uh, that uh, Cohen or that, uh, that Grant Cohen had that, Shannon had noted that he's, Pettis is trying to earn a role on the team. Uh, I, you know, maybe it is motivation, and maybe, but I don't know. Uh, but it's hard to say a guy drafted last year in the second round is going to struggle to make the football team. But, you know, this is the, the tough part about being a fan is you're on the outside looking in until the cuts happen, and then you get the news as to, hey, this is why this guy wasn't working out at all, and it was reasons one, two, three, and four. So, I'm just going to take a step back from it, and I'm not going to read anything into it yet and just hope that Pettis wanted the life work. The only thing I think that could be relatively safely read into it is that Shanahan probably practices a lot of tough love with his wide receivers. I think it's probably that and the quarterback who he holds to the highest level. You know, he, he doesn't accept taking a practice snap off or anything from the wide receivers. I think that's become clear with as how often he's criticized his wide receivers. Um, and I think Pettis is one, and, and Sherman kind of hinted on, on this earlier in training camp, but Pettis has extreme high side uh, or upside, extreme potential. He can be a true number one wide receiver in this league, which is what Sherman said. The only thing is, is consistency. And that's been said a couple of different times by a couple of different people that Pettis has to work on his consistency. You know, and that that's Shanahan has said that Sherman said that, you know, consistency. So that tells me that in practice, he probably flashes dominant plays and then also has plays where he completely disappears. Uh, and they're being hard on him and practicing tough love to try to get him to flash more consistently. It, to me, it does raise a little bit of an alarm with him playing in the fourth quarter just because he was hurt last year as a rookie a good bit of the time, and Shanahan is so scared of injuries. So it really makes me wonder, is there a clear-cut number one? To me, at this point, I have to say there, there isn't one. I think there's a whole bunch of people and there's going to be a, a very heavy rotation at the wide receiver position. Um, to, that's just what I'm seeing. I don't, I'm not envisioning at this point Shanahan saying, well, these are my two starters and they're going to play predominantly. I think it's going to be much more like that defensive line does. There's going to be all five wide receivers that dress playing around equal number of, of snaps. Maybe the number five guy doesn't play quite as much as the top four but I think you're going to see a heavy dose of Jalen Hurd in mixed in there. You're going to see a heavy dose of Debo Samuel, see a heavy dose of uh, Dante Pettis and Goodwin and whoever else they keep, which is a big question mark. right now. that might be the, the hardest thing to uh, at this point, guess at is who's going to be those last wide receivers on the roster and who are going to be the guys that are released. Uh, and Shanahan had a quote, I can't remember exactly what it was, I forgot to write it down, uh, talking about that, that he's going to play whatever wide receivers um, that fit 
the play call that he wants the best. So he's going to have guys in that are better at blocking when they're running. And he's going to have guys in, you know, maybe, okay, the X wide receiver is going to make a deep route on this one. So he wants this wide receiver there this time. And then they're going to do a short slant uh, at that position this next play. And he would rather have somebody like Debo run that. Who knows? But to me, that's what it signifies is that there's going to be a heavy rotation of wide receiver. There's not going to be a true number one. Might not even be a true number two. There'll be guys that officially start, but they're going to be sitting on the sidelines a good bit of the time, too. Uh, that makes the most sense to me, actually. And, you know, frankly, you want you want that type of rotation. Starting at wide receiver doesn't mean much because you're spot on. You don't play nine or ten plays in a row. There is that rotation. And that offense is so spread out sometimes with the motions and the shifts, the deep routes, the intermediate routes. That actually makes the most sense to me. Um, that's just well, that's you know uh, well, that's certainly one thing I'm going to be keeping an eye on this week, and uh, the game against the Chargers is the, how fluid the position group is right now, and anybody's capable of making a move during this last week of practice or the last game of the preseason. Right, and that allows us to kind of transition into more of future talk going into the the last preseason game and cut down day. And we'll stick with the wide receivers uh, here in the meantime. Like I said, it's might be the hardest position to get a grasp on on terms of who's going to be kept. You know, are they going to keep six? Uh, I think six is for sure at this point in my mind. But who's going to be number five? Who's going to be number six? I think there's four that are quite safe. And then there's the number five and six spots that are completely wide open at this point. And it's really tough to say because I think part of what makes it so tough is that they do such drastically different things. You know, you you have a Jordan Matthews, which not necessarily a fan favorite, but he's the big body receiver. Is he needed with Jalen Hurd? But that's what he brings. And that's the question. And then you have a Richie James. He's the special teams guy. He's the main return man of the team still at this point. Until he's cut, he's going to be that because that's how he's been utilized. And then he also flashed in that third preseason game against the Chiefs. I think he had four catches for 66 yards or something like that. And you mentioned that 33-yard strike he had with the first-team offense uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo delivering that pass. He, He seems to have developed as a wide receiver to go with the return game capability. But then you also got a Kendrick Bourne. If you keep if you keep Richie James, you're probably going to have to release Kendrick Bourne. Kendrick mm-hmm. Bourne's capable of playing both outside receiver positions, and he might be the best run blocking wide receiver on the team. Is that somebody you want to let go? At this point, who do you see on the outside looking in? Uh, I, I was I, I was scratching it out before we we got on the call and. Um, I am still, I'm flipping back and forth with Matthews and Bourne. I don't know who ends up, who ends up staying. I, you could, we could sit around a table and somebody could debate that it's Bourne and I would go, okay, I'm on that. I'm with you. And then wait a minute and somebody flips it to Matthews and I'd say, oh, oh, that makes sense too. I, it's really tough with either one of those guys. Um, and I, I, I don't know and I'm not afraid to admit it. I don't know. And I think that's going to be interesting to see what happens against the Chargers this week is who, who steps up and, you know, who is um, making the block downfield because that's what you're going to want to see from those guys is, well, I don't have the football, so I'm going to keep, am I going to just stand around and half-ass this block or am I going to keep going and find somebody to, you know, help my back out? So I don't know. That is, I could go back and forth on Matthews or Bourne all night. I'm just not sure. Right. And that it's just so difficult. And like I said, I, I think it, it's probably best to just admit we don't know and nobody knows. Uh, I would guess at this point, Kyle Shanahan doesn't even know. He might have a leaning, but I think it's that close of a call that Shanahan doesn't even know at this point who he wants. Uh, he, he did kind of explain in the past that uh, your number five wide receiver, you want to have a lot of special team. Uh, use out of. You want him to be able to contribute on special teams. He didn't specify whether that meant returning or being a gunner or something along those lines. To me, 
I took it more as returning because uh, the Niners don't have a gunner issue with Mostert uh, being on the roster. So I don't see it as that. You know, Jordan Matthews has been playing some special teams trying to make some value there. That to me signifies that he might be on the outside looking in and he was told, if you want any chance of making this roster, you're going to have to provide some special teams value to us because if it's just you as a wide receiver, you're not making this roster because that's something new to Matthews. He hasn't really done much special teams in the past. And that's something that didn't come about right at the start of training camp. That's something that came about later. Um, But that's about the only thing I can draw in terms of Kendrick Bourne. I don't want to say he doesn't make the team because he seems like he's trusted by Kyle Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan did say some nice things about him after this Chiefs game, talking about how great he was at blocking and, and how well he knows this offense. Um, but at the same time, to me, what does he bring that others don't? I mean, his upside, he, he's not a returner. He doesn't really bring much on special teams. What he brings is versatility in terms of being able to fill in at different wide receiver positions, which we saw last year. He filled in a lot of different wide receiver positions, ended up leading the team in receiving just essentially out of necessity um, with so many injuries, but he's capable of playing other positions. And what Shanahan said is the number five wide receiver needs to bring special teams ability. The number six wide receiver who doesn't dress for games needs to be able to play all the other positions so that if there's an injury, he can fill in wherever it's needed. Mm-hmm. I just have such a hard time saying Bourne's going to be cut because he is the guy that fills that sixth spot. But so is Matthews. He's just not yeah. as experienced in this offense and we haven't seen it as much. It's just so hard to say. But I think that is probably the number one thing, not just you and me, but everybody will be watching in that final preseason game because it it will be a game with the starters sitting where those guys that are fighting for the roster spots are going to get a lot of run and it's going to be who shows up uh, and, and earns that and forces the team's hand. Hey, we can't cut this guy. Look what he did. And wide receiver position is going to be the position I think everybody keeps an eye on. Uh, but what else should we be keeping an eye on for that last game? Because it's not the only position with the big question marks out there. Yeah, I know um, I am going to be watching, uh, no, no surprise, the interior OL. Uh, I want to see what uh, Garnett can do with one game. Um, and I don't try to infer anything from what Shanahan says at his press conferences, the tone he gives. You know, sometimes we can't hear the question asked, but sometimes the tone he gives back is is a little... Uh, you know, it feels like he's a little frustrated with the question or anyway. <laughs> I've noted a couple times with Garnett, it's almost like he's uh, bothered that Garnett's not playing again another preseason with an, due to an injury. So, you know, Garland uh, has played three games, Garnett none. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what ends up happening with that with, with Garnett. Does he somehow remain on that roster? Does he play well enough Thursday? To, uh, to obtain that backup guard spot again. So I'm interested in that. And then obviously, uh, I'd like to see, again, what happens with the, the safety position. Um, I thought uh, Jimmy Ward played pretty well. Uh, I believe he was playing some nickel. He played some safety. Uh, coming back from a collarbone injury, I, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be, be willing to throw my body out there uh, coming off that. But I'm, I'd like to be watching that safety position as well. So those are the, besides wide receiver group, certainly those other two spots. Right. And in terms of Jimmy Ward, uh, from what I read uh, and what I saw, because it, it's kind of hard to name who specifically is a starter on defense these days, because a large majority of the time, a defense plays nickel, and they might even play the first play at nickel. But technically, who is considered a starter is whoever lines up in that base defense, you know, with only two corners playing and two safeties instead of three corners and maybe one high safety and another one drop down. You know, so Jimmy Ward actually started at the nickel corner and Devarius Moore was considered the starter at free safety. 
which I found very interesting because right before the game, uh, a lot of the beat reporters were saying it looks like Jimmy Ward is starting, but it turned out he was starting at the nickel cor- corner position, mm-hmm. and he did quite well. I, I watched him a couple plays where he was actually matched up with Terry Kill, which is about as tough of a matchup as can be because he's just so fast and shifting. He did quite well in limiting uh, Terry Kill from the plays that I saw, and, and it brings up an interesting point because Jimmy Ward's not the top choice at least assumed not the top choice as a nickel corner. That's Kawan Williams, but he's been injured. With how well Jimmy Ward did, I didn't see it a whole lot, but I did see one person kind of speculate. I wonder if Jimmy Ward's going to take hold of that nickel corner slot and Kawan Williams is going to be left you know, holding the bag at the end of cutdown day. You think there's any chance Kawan Williams gets pushed out? I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. Um... The both Lynch and Shanahan and Robert Sala seem very big on Jimmy Ward, and I understand uh, people's frustrations with Ward, specifically the injuries. And we can go into a whole other podcast on whether he is playing up to his potential or not. But that's that's not for today. But they <laughs> seem to want to give Ward that chance. And I remember when they re-signed him in the offseason, the collective frustrated sigh from Twitter you could hear (laughs) from anywhere on the planet. So I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, look back in the history of sports, uh, specifically Wally Pitt, you know, you get the injury at the wrong time and somebody steps up and your ghost is going to be holding a bottle of aspirin into all eternity. And if that's Kawan Williams this time, I, I hate to say sorry, Kawan, but, you know, Ward stepped in. And he played well last night. And if he plays well again on Thursday, I think you're right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if he is on the outside looking in. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. But my issue with that is, how can you count on Ward? You know, you don't want to <laughs> be in a position where if Ward goes down, you go, uh oh, because Quan Williams would be signed by somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him rated as one of the best slot corners uh, in the NFL last year, uh, playing there in the nickel defense. And that's Quan Williams. So do you really want to let him walk and say, okay, it's all on you, Jimmy, and then he gets injured again? You know, Jimmy Ward is the Garnett of the defense. I mean, <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's a guy with a lot of potential, was a first-round pick, and he's constantly injured. Uh, you yep. know, I hope he stays healthy. But that's my issue with that is if you let Kwan go, you're really putting a lot of trust in uh, Jimmy Ward. The only way I see that happening is if the team is comfortable with DJ Reed uh, filling in if Ward goes down. And I I don't see that. DJ Reed, to me, seems... He has potential. He has the athletic ability, but he's still learning that position, transitioning from playing the safety position, trying to now cover the slot corner position. I have a hard time with the Niners saying, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna trust DJ Reed to back up Ward, who might be the most injury prone player on the team. I think they keep Quan and they cut DJ Reed, but I wouldn't be shocked if Quan is cut at the same time because Reed does have a lot of upside. And Ward is currently healthy. I just think it would be a little short-sighted. But I think we should touch on the fact that Moore started at free safety. To me, that, that that's a very big tipping of the hand by the coaching staff. Because if they it's Jimmy Ward's first game back. If he was truly, they thought, going to be the starter at free safety, or they thought that... Uh, Moore still needed to prove more uh, that he deserved that starting position. It's preseason. Why would you bother putting Jimmy Ward down in the slot and not start him at free safety when he's going up against a Mahomes as the quarterback? Why wouldn't you have him play free safety and protect that against that deep ball that Tyreek Hill might be looking for or a Sammy Watkins, you know? So to me, that that's a big tipping hand. Moore has earned that starting position and the the team's satisfied with that. Would you agree? And he didn't, yeah, yeah, and he didn't play all that long either. Um, Right. You know, again, not that, not that, not that he needs to play, he needs to play forever, but 
according to the stat sheet, he only played 16 snaps. So that's a good, that's a really good observation. Uh, I was not thinking, I was not thinking in terms of, of that, but that's a, that's an excellent observation. Um, I would say, yeah, he was probably has that, that's that more has that spot locked up. Well, let's, let's hope I, <laughs> I'm a pretty big more fan. I think he plays quite well there and has a lot of, a lot of potential and grow into the position, but we should transition into our final topic of the day. One last thing to be looking for in the final preseason game. Uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan hasn't called it just yet, but I think it's pretty clear that the backup quarterback has been settled. Uh, Nick Mullins, I'm pretty confident in saying, would be the number two quarterback with C.J. Beathard being the number three. The reason to bring this up is what Kyle Shanahan said following the Chiefs game on Saturday, and that's that the Niners will be keeping three quarterbacks. It wasn't a the Niners may keep three. It's that the 49ers will be keeping three. Now, there's a couple ways to take that. Take him on his word that the team doesn't care. C.J. Beathard is too valuable. They're not going to let him go, and they're going to run with three quarterbacks, regardless of the running back depth that we've already talked about or the defensive line depth or, or you know, like a D.J. Reed or an Adrian Colbert that might end up getting cut because of it. Or is he saying that to try to get teams to say, you know what, they're not going to release him? We need to trade for him. Which way do you go with that? This is another one of those. Uh, <laughs> uh, those everybody's got a, a a hill that they're on on this, and they're going to defend it to the death. I don't see ro- roster wise. It does not make sense to keep three quarterbacks. However, as you pointed out a moment ago, with uh, Ward's Ward being injury prone, if you only keep two. To me, that's gambling just a little bit, especially at a critical spot. It also would point out a little bit that they were wrong on Bethard. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but, you know, you, he tried, you drafted him, he tried his rookie year, he tried last year, and now you've let him go or whatever they, whatever they end up doing with him. I don't know. Right. I just think it's, it's a little, I, I side kind of, it's just a little risky to keep two. I can see him doing it um, and saying that we're going to, we've got two or maybe something comes on the table at the end of next week. And there's a, there's a player or two or something that they need, the 49ers need, and they're willing to give Beathard up. uh, It just, it's just one of those things where I'm, I'm trying to watch both sides of it and I can see both sides of it, but uh, it just doesn't, to me, I side more of it. It just doesn't make sense to keep three. Because you're just, you know, your third guy is just never going to be active. Right. I, I think it, it, the way I take it, it, it's kind of sitting on the fence, but I'll, I'll explain. I think the Niners will keep Beathard if they have to. I think they would be more than willing to trade him if the right offer came, which wouldn't take a whole lot. You know, I think a sixth-round pick would probably get them to pull the trigger and, and release Beathard. But I think the way they're looking at it is they're going to keep Beathard until an injury forces their hand. Let's say a Jimmy Ward goes down and they need to bring back a DJ Reed or, or, or whoever's out there that has experience in this secondary and defensive scheme already. They can then release Beathard and go get that guy. You know, if that happens in week four or week seven or whenever. Some of these guys that they release are still going to be available and there's a lot of depth there, you know, and Antoine Exum, would he still be available? Would he be out there? Could they bring him back to to help out the secondary or or you know one of the defensive linemen that ends up being let go? That's how I kind of take it, which is kind of a fence position. I think they'll keep Beathard if they have to, but they'd prefer to move him. And if an injury forces their hand, they'll end up releasing him. Yeah, I, then that, that that's a decent argument too. I like that. That did that, that. I like that one. I did remember. I did check my notes from Shanahan's press conference, and he noted that uh, if a, if something improves the roster, he'd consider it. Right. Now, you know, if something improves my Thanksgiving turkey, I consider it as well. <laughs> but that doesn't always mean I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the trigger on that. It's just that's another one of these stories over the next couple of days. It's just going to be your Twitter timeline and your uh, alerts on your phone are just going to be going bananas. 
Right. I, I mean, I would be shocked if there's not a, some trade that happens for the 49ers, not necessarily with C.J. Beathard, but somebody with the amount of depth that's on the defensive line, which uh, I believe it's Lynch that admitted last week, um, I, or previously, I'm not sure if it was last week, but he admitted that they have had some calls about their defensive line. Um, and then Shanahan was also asked uh, on a phone call press conference that happened uh, following the Saturday game whether or not teams have inquired about Beathard or one of the wide receivers or other positions outside of the defensive line. And he uh, deflected. <laughs> he said, I'm sure there's been some phone calls, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, "There's, I'm sure there's been some phone calls, but that's really a Lynch and front office thing. They handle all that and they do a great job, blah, blah, blah. Basically said, I'm the coach. I don't bother with roster decisions, which isn't true. I mean, we know that's not true. Shanahan has a pretty heavy hand in the roster decisions. I'm sure he knows. Uh, he might know if there, not know if there's a specific trade talk that has happened, but I'm sure Lynch has talked to him and said, hey, we've had some teams inquire about this position group. Who would you be not upset if we trade? Who are you not counting on that much? You know, who would be maybe at the end of the depth chart? So I'm sure he knows, but he deflected, which tells me there's been phone calls. Just you don't know whether it's phone calls about Beathard or, or on the defensive line or one of the wide receivers. You know, you don't know where there's been phone calls. You just know there's been phone calls. And that makes sense to me. I mean, isn't this the same uh, Shanahan Lynch brigade that wanted to trade for Tom Brady a couple years ago? So <laughs> actually attempted to trade for Tom Brady. Yeah, exactly. So. If, if if these two are willing to just up and ask for Brady, I would be shocked if name a team hasn't called to inquire about name any player on the roster. You know, what would it take to get so-and-so off of your hands? And Lynch either hangs up or ponders it for a second and says, okay, I can consider this in a couple of weeks. Let's see where we're at and call me. Um, but yeah, these two are, these two are thick as thieves. So I wouldn't put anything past them. Right. And, I think that's where we're going to have to leave it. You know, at at the point of this recording, there's not been a trade or a big roster uh, decision made, but I wouldn't be shocked to see it something drop at any moment. It, it, it could be another week from now. You know, they might go all the way through preseason number four or the final preseason game uh, if they don't have the right offer on the table right now. But I also wouldn't be shocked if there was a trade made while we're talking right now and this podcast is going to come out and it's already going to be a day late on the trade. It could happen at any moment. I think there are conversations going on, but that's where we're going to have to leave it for this episode. Uh, so I, with that, I thank you all for listening to yet another no huddle podcast. Again, I was your host, Levin black alongside Brett Rumbeck. Brett, I hope to maybe talk to you again after the season gets going. Uh, that'd be great. Levin. I'd be happy to join you again. All right. For all our listeners out there, you have a great day, evening, night, whenever you're listening to us. Have a great remainder of your day.